Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host as always, Ryan Basor, and today is episode 44 and I'm really thrilled to have on uh, today's guest, Curtis Gore from BDT Smoke Shop. Everyone's heard of and knows about. Also, Shango Cannabis, uh, and uh, just recently launched uh, Tommy Chong's brand here in in Michigan. So, Curtis, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's a pleasure, and I'm so glad that we've had a chance to uh, reconnect. Yes, yes. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about that later. A fundraiser that the foundation had that Curtis generously uh, uh, sponsored and donated to. Uh, it's uh, really exciting. Uh, I can't wait to talk about that and uh, do another one. But uh, um, Kevin over at True Cannabis. Kevin, how are you doing today? Everything's good, Ryan. Excited to be on the show. Uh, I've been kind of going down to uh, Curtis's shops for a lot of years uh, when I was younger. And so uh, I'm kind of excited to get to the back end of this. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, cool. And Tom over at Real Leaf also, uh, I'm sure, visited a few head shops pre-2008. Uh, Tom, how you doing? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> doing great, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you bet it. Yeah. It's a beautiful day, man. New hat and new building opened up to uh, two more flower rooms today. Oh, so Congrats. We're pretty stoked. Congratulations, congrats. Tom. Yeah, man. Thank yeah. you. Send down, send down some hats. <laughs> send samples and hats. Yep. Will do. <laughs> All right. Well, a uh, little background on on Curtis, uh, you know, owner of BDT Smoke Shop, which was, uh, you know, very very famous in Michigan and has been uh, was founded in 1973 and um, has been involved in some of the the legalities that the head shops uh, went through and you know that was that and the grow stores and that and high times is really what pushed you know uh, a lot of the early culture to get to where we could even. Um, get to the point of trying to to get medical and legalized. So that's uh, I'm 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 interested and uh, excited to hear about it. And then uh, ever since uh, I can remember, I got really involved. I knew of BDTs before 2008, but I I got really involved in cannabis and activism in 09. And uh, BDTs has always been involved, always supported caregivers, and always has uh, you know supported the legalization efforts as well. So um, really really uh, you know. Um, thankful for that, Curtis. And then recently, Shango, uh, who uh, I was up at a great uh, opening up in Hazel Park uh, oh, about three weeks ago. And uh, it's a great brand, great uh, great people involved, uh, three provisioning centers, processing. And um, I know some of the other people involved in your retail stores and uh, Andrew and uh, um, Shanna and, and others. So um, love being in your stores and, and uh, thankful for that. And then uh, most recently uh, um, launched Tommy Chong's uh, brand here in Michigan. And I know you've been working on that for a bit. So congratulations. So um, and then also, like we talked about, thank you for being a, a sponsor. We'll talk about uh, Saturday night as well. But uh, Curtis, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you grew up, how you got into the head shop business and, and where you're at now. And then let's let's talk about those court cases. 
Right on. Well, it, it sounds like I'm wearing way too many hats, as people often say that. So, Tom, I will take a new hat, but I don't know how many more I can wear. Um, but uh, thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, the uh, BDT Smoke Shop uh, has been in business for now 48 years. Uh, was originally started by my brother-in-law, Bill McGaw, um, and it originated in Sterling Heights uh, prior to 1973 as the Buzz Ba. Believe it or not, the Buzz Ba was an opium den in Turkey. <laughs> Back when people were naming their head shops, just crazy, crazy names. Um, and then when my brother-in-law split with his brother, he moved it to Hazel Park, Nine Mile and John R, renamed it the Buzz Da. Um, and it operated on Nine Mile and uh, John R up until 1984. And in 1984, uh, we moved it to Eight and a Half and John R. And at that point, um, head shops were caught up in all the... Uh, Unfortunately, the legal uh, ramifications of um, the federal government cracking down and we decided it would be beneficial to kind of name it, rename it something that was a little more publicly acceptable. So then we changed it to BDT Pipe and Tobacco, which coincidentally, Bill was my brother-in-law, Denise is my sister, and T for tobacco. So that's a, it, it transitioned to BDT. Um, operated in Hazel Park uh, since that time in 1997, I think it was, we opened up our, our Roseville store. Um, and then after that opened up uh, Utica, uh, Chesterfield, Oxford, and most recently in Ferndale. So that's, that's the BDT side of things. Um, and in, uh, I, I met Tommy Chong about uh, 20 years ago at one of the uh, tobacco trade shows that uh, took place out in um, in Las Vegas every year. And I actually met his son, for starters. Uh, he came over to our, our booth that we had, and we just started talking about software and the head shop business. And I, I didn't even know who he was. And he said, you know what, I wanna introduce you to somebody. Um, so he said, come with me. So I walked over to the booth where Tommy Chong was, and uh, Paris Chong, his son, said, hey, hey, Dad, I want to introduce you to somebody. And that that was like 20 plus years ago. That kind of started the whole relationship with uh, with Tommy Chong. We started carrying their uh, their bongs at our stores and we had talked about opening up uh, Tommy Chong head shops at the time. Um, we, we discussed the possibilities for uh, probably the greater part of two years. And then unfortunately, as you know, uh, Tommy was uh, arrested uh, by the federal government and uh, spent nine months in prison. So that kind of quashed that idea at, the, uh, at that time. But we reconnected um, in 2014 when they realized that the, the cannabis industry, someone like Tommy with the celebrity name and the, the history in cannabis that, you know, his name and a brand associated with his name uh, probably would be a wise thing to develop in the marketplace. So that really started the uh, the relationship with uh, Tommy Chong and what uh, was the precursor to Tommy Chong Cannabis, and that was Chong's Choice. Uh, Chong's Choice launched uh, out west about three years ago, um, but I just we weren't comfortable in launching it in Michigan at the time. Um, we, we looked at a number of facilities, talked to a number of people, and it was just like every developing market in the licensed arena, everybody was selling 
everything that they could possibly produce. So it wasn't the right time until most recently when we uh, we agreed to terms with uh, MKX, uh, Sam and Mike over at MKX, and it was just a beneficial time to uh, launch in the market. And running parallel to that uh, was the, the launch of the Shango brand in Michigan. Um, Shango is a multi-state operator that originated in Oregon, moved into Washington State, uh, into Nevada, uh, into Michigan, California, and most recently in Missouri. But I'm, I'm only a, uh, a Michigan partner, although there's, there's rumors that we're going to merge the company together. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm just remaining a, a Michigan partner and, you know, putting on their hat a couple times a week, putting on the Tommy Chong hat. Um, it, if, if you don't know already, Ryan, my wife and I actually relocated to Hazel Park and we have a loft above our BDT building. So that's where I'm broadcasting from. We call our our loft uh, apartment above BDT our home. So I'm working 24 seven running up and down the stairs all the time. That's cool. That's awesome. So Tommy Chong did nine months and that was for his, uh, for uh, financing and being and, and marketing for bongs, right? Yep. And paraphernalia, correct? Yep. Yep. So we've, we've, my wife and I, uh, if you'd like me to, Tom, I, I can give you a little backstory to all of that. So, sure. you know, um, his son Paris um, came to Tommy and he said, Dad, you know, I think we can, we can make some bongs and we can, you know, we can sell them, we can be uh, profitable. So they did, in fact, come out with a line of, of bongs, Chong's bongs. Um, and the, the company was in the name of Paris, his son, and also his wife, Shelby. And they operated the company, give or take a, a couple of years without problems. Well, they were set up by the uh, the federal government in operation, I think it was Headhunter. There were two going on simul um, simultaneously, Operation Pipe Dream and Operation Headhunter. Uh, mm -hmm. And they shipped their products across the state line into Pennsylvania. And that's what really started the whole action of the legal charges against the Chong family. And what it really came down to it is, uh, one day they, they came up to his door and started pounding on his door and, uh, uh, you know, served him federal charges of uh, drug paraphernalia trafficking. And um, they threatened to not only put uh, Paris in, in uh, jail, but also Shelby in jail if Tommy didn't plead to those charges. So, so really, he was, to a certain extent, um, legally, he wasn't on the company, but they were going after the big fish. And, and to the federal government at that time, Tommy Chong was the big fish. And uh, he pleaded guilty to uh, to drug paraphernalia charges and served uh, nine months. I, I don't know what the, the actual sentence was, but he only ended up <clears throat> serving nine months of that um, that sentence. Yeah, high, high profile, kind of a bust. The federal government ruining all the fun for everyone. Now it's hard to think that people would get in trouble for sending bongs across state lines or anything of that nature. But uh, then they kind of the same thing here with this whole Prevent All Cigarette Trafficking Act, which I'm sure you're very well familiar with. The uh, otherwise known as the Pact Act or Pact Act or the Vape Mail Ban that now is currently. Uh, the rule of the land here. So UPS, uh, April 5th, stopped shipping all vape-related products. U U.S. Postal Service 
around the 27th of April, FedEx, March 1st. And of course, DHL had already banned vapor vape products for being mailed. How has that affected BDT? And what, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Because I, uh, I'm going to reserve my own for a response. Yeah, well, it, it's just, a, again, another one of the uh, hoops that we have to uh, jump through, not only in the head shop business, but uh, obviously, I think it trickles down to the cannabis business and the licensed facilities that have um you know those products within their store um we're actually hoping here at the store it, it's going to be somewhat of a benefit for us um as the as the manufacturers uh do di more direct marketing online to the end consumers we were we were losing ground on a retail store at a brick and mort mortar to uh, online sales so we're thinking that this actually may be able to help us because a lot of those products that were purchased via um, you know, the manufacturer and then shipped directly, um, we may see more traffic through our stores. So um, it, it hasn't been yet seen, but uh, that's kind of what we're thinking at this time. So how do you, how are you receiving your, your vape products then when you order them? So typically it's bulk packaged um, with other products. And I think, and I can't be 100% certain, but I think this is one of the loopholes that some of the companies are getting around is they're, they're packaging, let's say $5,000 worth of other products that are completely illegal and then uh, bulking on, you know, $500 worth of uh, those products that are not supposed to be shipped. So gotcha. there's, you know, with, with any market, when there's change, somebody's gonna find the way around it. Um, you know, I'll bring up most recently the Jewel Pods. You know, Jewel Pods, you saw the advertising everywhere that the, you know, the federal government was out to ban them and all the flavors. And then all of a sudden you have all the flavored breeze uh, nicotine providers uh, in a new form. And that has been equally, if not larger than the, the Jewel sales ever were. So. You know, the, the big money people, one way or another, will find a way around it for sure. Hey, Curtis, can you tell us what, what's the what's the idea behind this ban? What what, what are they trying to prevent? I mean, other than being hypocritical and, and trying to just fight the uh, the policies that we have in place now. I mean, what's their objective? You know, I, I think at least from my perception, you know, it's it started off with the the health related issues with the people that were younger than 18 or 21, depending upon the state. Um, we really saw a huge uprising from parent groups when it came to the vaping of the, you know, the large vaping mechanisms that uh, send out tons of smoke. Um, and I think that's what really started the whole um you know, the motion to, to ban and to limit all vaping products. I think that's where it started with. So I, I know I've been asked by a number of news um, uh, agencies from time to time to kind of comment, comment on what we sell versus what was on the market. But I think that that's what really truly started it. And there, there's definitely a lot of health issues. I mean, let's face it, smoking in general is not the healthiest way to consume, uh, especially if you're talking about tobacco. Uh, but then when you're talking about ingesting um, vape juice with propylene glycol and some of the other mixtures, that's where it's really bad. Um, and that's really what started, I think, the whole momentum of trying to ban, you know, every form of vaping in one way, shape or form possible. Yeah, that's uh, I, I did. I believe it got like kind of thrown in there on one of the like the the late stimulus bills that was in uh, 
in the winter and uh, kind of got snuck. And I think it was Feinstein even that did it. I've, uh, I was on a couple. Too big people. to fail. The bill's too big, so yeah, they they sailed it on through. Throw it in yeah, there they, without. Sorry, Ryan. I was just going to mention, and that's you know the interesting thing about the whole head shop business in cannabis. You know, although I had some knowledge of what goes on. You know, you really get into the <laughs> the industry and you really understand what goes on behind the scenes, whether it's, you know, political involvement, the big money. Um, that has been, I think, one of the most interesting things to see. You know, I my, my whole life I've heard the influences and, you know, I tried to stay away from the limelight in every way, shape or form just because anything associated with uh, drug paraphernalia prior to five years ago just wasn't something... Yeah, we tried to stay away from it. So, but then trying to enter the cannabis market and uh, understanding the politicians and their motivations and the municipalities and taking care of their constituents. Uh, that's where I think I got my first real true taste of, you know, what it was going to take to to get into this industry, uh, the cannabis industry itself. That's uh, that's cool. I was going to ask you a little bit about that, and uh, you're right. Uh like politics like i when i really got involved in in early 10 and all of a sudden i it, what it was like a, an eye-opening experience like oh all that stuff i heard is true this is how the, the system really works this is local government um all of that and you know we had to learn ballot initiatives and and how to lobby and uh it's really uh it's turned into a skill set so uh, you're in michigan we're in michigan you were able obviously to uh your michigan partner um how did that come about with Shango? And then, you know, obviously, did you have, uh, were you able to go out and get some of the locations? Because that's that's something that, you know, that I really tried to do early on and specialize in to get involved. So how did uh, how did that next step uh, take place from deciding to get in to all of a sudden you're a partner in Michigan Shango? So um, really my daughter on the cannabis side, my daughter's been a caregiver since 2009. And I have to give her uh, some props because um, one other thing that's going on here in Hazel Park is uh, she actually was approved for a vertical micro business about eight months ago. Cool. And just coincidentally today, the big equipment showed up to break ground on the uh, on the, the new parking lot. But um, she's been a caregiver um, and with my wife being an attorney, we've been part of this, you know, the underground um, industry, I guess you could call it for a long time, you know, supporting it and um, kind of keeping an eye out to when the right time was going to come to us to really make a move and see what the likelihood we it was for us to get licensed. And um, um, I'll, I'll tell the little story about when uh, Tommy Chong came to town um, in 2015, they had they had given me a call, as I'd mentioned earlier, and we were we were talking throughout 2014. They said, you know, we're going to make a trip out to Michigan. We'd love to come and appear at your store. Um, they had appeared at our Roseville store in in 1999. Um, Tommy did and his wife Shelby, um, but. So he was scheduled to appear in uh, in 2015, and he gave me about a three-week advance notice, and I had very little interaction with uh, the administration in Hazel Park at the time. You know, again, <laughs> just trying to fly under the radar. Just, you know, you don't bother me, I won't bother you, we'll all get along real well. And um, I went down to the city clerk's office uh, with a plan 
on him making an appearance and just verifying what information I'm going to need for security. And uh, one of the city clerk administrators kind of looked at me and she said, well, you're going to have to talk to the city manager about this. Like in, in a tone, <laughs> like I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's uh, going to be the first fight. And, and I said to her at the time, I said, well, whether you like it or not, Tommy Chong's coming and we're gonna host an event. I kind of got a little snippy with her um, just because, you know, <laughs> there's only so much you can put up with. Um, but, you know, uh, the uh, what then occurred, which was like very enlightening and, and refreshing is the next day, the uh, city manager, Ed Klobuchar, gave me a call and said, hey, Kurt, um, not only would we welcome Tommy Chong coming to your establishment, we'd like to bring up the idea of um, giving him the key to the city. And oh. I was completely taken back. I, I was like, Ed, that would be wonderful. So in fact, that's what occurred in 2015 in a, in a very grand ceremony, much bigger than I had ever expected. Um, the city yeah. manager, Ed Klobuchar, along with uh, Jan Parisi, the mayor at the time, uh, Andy LeCuro, and if you know Andy, Andy's been a yep. um, a true supporter of the cannabis uh, movement for many, many years, has never um, hid his uh, opinion on cannabis. Uh, the fire department, uh, a couple members from the police department all came out to prov uh, provide him the key to the city in Hazel Park, <laughs> which... Uh, was the first time ever that Tommy Chong has been provided the key to the city. And that's that only not opened up my eyes to, well, you know, there might be some ch chance, there, there might be a chance that we can do something in the city. Um, so shortly after that, we had a meeting, my wife and I, along with Matt Abel, Matt Abel and, and Deborah Young, we had a meeting with um, the city manager and a, and a few of the city council members and had brought up the idea of looking at licensing. And I knew at that time, based on the reaction, that they were interested. So that kind of started this, this search to find what I thought to be the right partner um, that I could um, link up with that understood the cannabis industry, understood what it would take both financially and logistically to get going. And after a long search out west, um, I was able to hook up with the Shango Group and they were already the the official grower for Tommy Chong in um, Oregon and also Nevada. So that kind of started the whole relationship of bringing them to Michigan and um, having them look at the Michigan market because their entire focus really was the West. Um, they were um, uh, Shane McKee, an Oregon guy, um, you know, been growing cannabis for 30 years has dodged the uh, the federal authorities. And then um, also Brandon Rexroad from, from California, he understood you know the California market. And I, I just think overall, they were a good group. And I, I met with a lot of other groups, but uh, they are the ones that returned my phone calls. They are the ones that said, hey, you know, let's talk about this, uh, that took the time to fly out to Michigan to understand the market. Um, and we're the ones ultimately that we thought would be uh, to best best suited to uh, to team up with us here in Michigan, and the rest is history, so to speak. Very cool. Hey Curtis, what's it been like working with Tommy Chong over the years? Um, you know, my experiences, I've ran into him a few times. Uh, one time was uh, at uh, the LA Convention Center. Um, and I uh, went out back to have a cigarette and uh, a limo pulled up and uh, hear Tommy Chong and Cheech hop out of this limo. And uh, as they're walking to the building, you know, we say to him, hey, you guys want to hit this bong? 
And they were like, nah, we're good, you know, and they kept walking and they took like one or two more steps and then they pivoted. They turned around and they said, you know what? Actually, we would like to hit that bong. And so they came <laughs> over and so behind the LA Convention Center, uh, I sat there with Cheech and Chong and uh, Don and Aaron from DNA Genetics and uh, smoked some uh, some keef out of a bong uh, until the, the uh, LA Sheriff rolled up, at which time uh, uh, Cheech promptly went over and distracted them while we uh, hid the, the evidence and uh, we went back inside. But they seemed like straight up real guys. Um, couldn't ask to, uh, uh, to have nicer guys to, to kind of looked up to as a, as a, as a youngster. But uh, what, what's your experience been uh, like working with Tommy? Oh, absolutely. Um, Tommy is one of the funniest, um, good human, um, just great to know individuals that I, I've ever crossed paths with. Um, my, my wife and I, you know, everybody gets kind of starstruck and, and, and I definitely was, and so was my wife. Um, but he's just such a down to earth, say it as it is. Um, you know, everybody asks him, hey, Tommy, what's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite um, cannabis that you like? He goes, the stuff that's given to me for free. And he's always, he's always said that. Um, but we've had, we've been very fortunate to be able to um, associate with him um, on a personal level, a business level. Um, uh, my wife and I were out for his 80th birthday celebration in, in Los Angeles a, a couple of years back. He is just a great guy. And the stories that he has are incredible. He has some of the best stories I've ever heard. Um, for a lot, you, you guys might know this, you know, first and foremost, Tommy Chong's a musician, that that's how he started his career um, with the Calgary Shades back in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and then moving on to Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, um, which at the time then he had moved to Detroit and he and, and his first wife actually lived in Detroit for about two years uh, where they recorded in Motown. Um, and he's got a lot of Detroit history. He's a fan of Michigan and Detroit. Um, usually we're, when we're talking about Michigan, he always brings up a bunch of old stories. Um, never is uh, shy to light up a joint and uh, and pass it around to people. He's just a, a true straight shooter um, and just and loves being here every time that he's in town. Um, we so we had the we were also fortunate a few years back um, when we were discussing the uh, the licensing agreement with Tommy Chong. Um, we got to spend a fair amount of time with Cheech as well, and Cheech tells the story about how he's actually been out of the cannabis industry for a number of years because of his successful uh, TV and movie career, and he just kind of moved away from uh, cannabis. But uh, as things started to change. Um, and this would be probably, you know, I guess 2013 or so, he started seriously looking at, you know, making a run at, at coming on board and being part of the cannabis industry. So when we were out in uh, Arizona, and I think it was 2016, give or take, um, my wife and I spent two days with Cheech on um, understanding of where he's coming from now. And uh, he says, it's funny because a lot of the people that know him personal friends and family that kind of stepped away from cannabis all started going back to it and were, you know, in their 50s, 60s and 70s and were looking for alternative, um, you know, medicine to what they had been taking all along uh, for, for many years. So he was able to kind of get back in and, and really truly be able to be proud of the industry, not only as his, his history in it, but um, then coming back and being a consumer. Kind of interesting stat about him, 
is um, he was in Arizona because he is the largest collector of Chicano art, I think, in the world. Um, and it just so happened that he had a Chicano art exhibit at the uh, the Mesa Arts Museum, and he was there for um, I think about a week and uh, was displaying all his Chicano art. And to talk about a smart guy, I, I tell you what, that guy is top-notch, like genius level. And it just so happens that uh, he married a beautiful Russian pianist and um, didn't get to meet her, uh, but uh, heard a lot of stories about her. So again, I, I mean, the relationship with Tommy Chong, uh, I mean, I could go on and on just because the stories, I mean, I just sit back, I try to keep my mouth shut and just let Tommy roll. And he's uh, just nonstop stories all the time. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's incredible, man. Yeah. Well, we have an event license over here at Real Leaf. And uh, what are the odds of getting Cheech and Chong together to do a cannabis event? Now, I would say that Tommy's probably a lot more likely than than Cheech, although, um, you know, uh, Cheech, I think, I mean, it would be a stretch. It's interesting because you may have also heard, you know, the relationship has been strained at times. Um, they have toured quite a bit together on their comedy tour, but I, I think outside of that, um, you'll see them together every once in a while. And I think actually they've kind of rekindled their their friendship a little bit more, but it was, it was strained for a number of years. I guess, you know, just you working together for as many years as they had, um, you could kind of get on your each other's nerves but Tom I'd like to think there is a good chance of getting him back to Michigan maybe the end of the summer we actually had scheduled here in Hazel Park on 4 four twenty of last year we were going to host the first state licensed special event and adult use sales at the BDT property but um, we had the state approve it. We had the local authorities approve it. Tommy was scheduled. And of course, the COVID. pandemic hit and uh, all of it went out the window. But um, the, the one other thing I wanted to say about Tommy, talk about his fans. I mean, Tommy has the stamina of a 20 year old, um, you know, doing the hash bash a few years. His biggest concern of the people that are in line is how many people are left how late do we have to stay whatever it's going to take to sign these autographs and meet these people and you know we're trying to get people through and he's just taking as much time sincerely on you know connecting with almost every person and the stories they tell and you know where that first person smoked to join and watched up in smoke or uh you know the impala that they've seen that was like the love machine and he just he connects with all the stories just a just a, a wonderful wonderful human being that's awesome man i wanted to circle back around to your uh, involvement with shango uh you were mentioning when you were looking for a partner for michigan you had traveled out west. Was there a reason? Was did you not feel like the cannabis market was not quite mature enough in Michigan to suit your needs for what you're looking for uh, for reaching out to a multi-state operator? Yeah, and, and I think more so it was the the experience with what I believe were going to be the pitfalls. I mean, I met with a number of of groups in Michigan, um, and I met with money groups and. You know, to be honest with you, they just turned me off. It was, um, they didn't understand the culture. They, they didn't understand, uh, you know, the fight that individuals like Ryan uh, and, and 
uh, Nick Agro, and you know the list goes on and on of those that uh, you know have fought the fight, and there just wasn't anybody in Michigan that that I was interacting with that I just thought was going to be the right partner, and you know for me. Um, I had the opportunity in Hazel Park just because of not only being a resident, but, uh, you know, a, a business owner for so many years. They were at least willing to give me an opportunity in Hazel Park. It wasn't given to me. I mean, we had to earn that. And um, never given. Yeah. Early on, I realized that how competitive of a market it was going to be. And I knew that if if I had to check every single box, you know, experience, uh, capital, um, community relationship. I'm going to need somebody really strong um, to be a partner with, and um, and again, it, they were in, they were the one group that when I called, if they didn't pick up the phone right away, they called me back in, in a day, and to me that meant a lot. And and then again, they had the their experiences in in Oregon and California, so you know they were part of the industry for a long time, and and that's what. You know, my wife and I truly wanted is to partner with somebody that understood the, um, the struggles that we've all had to to try to operate in this space. Well, that's uh, that's a that's a really cool mix of uh, activism and you know, like working with uh, with a big a bigger out of state company. That's uh, that's fascinating because we talk about that all the time, and you know, and it's a good lead into the uh, the event um, we were blessed enough to have with the Redemption Foundation. Uh, this past Saturday, uh, we were at the Jesmia Lofts in uh, Pontiac, and it's uh, with the group. Um, they do hosting. They uh, helped with the Happy Monkey Party in uh, in Manhattan about three weeks ago. That went off us uh, real well on the rooftop up there, and, and then also Wellflower, um, uh, which is also a vertically integrated uh, company, and. Uh, you know, Curtis with BDTs. I want to get, just kind of give uh, the names out now. Uh, High Level Health, North Coast Testing, Green Farm, Shatter House. We had DJ Mint from the Pistons and King Jazzy B, Luxury Loud, all the stickies and the greenhouse. And then also uh, uh, quality, uh, uh, high quality meds um, sponsored the the DJ. So we raised uh, we raised a lot of money, close to it was close to about eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars, and higher learning in um, Pontiac, which is a uh, a school that's helping people uh, te- learn about uh, cannabis and a lot of people that have been uh, dis you know disproportionately affected. And then also uh, it's going to do a lot of great work for the foundation. We're also going to work with Force Detroit. So Curtis, thank you. Um, I had a great time. Uh, what uh, What'd you think of the event? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, number one, it was great to be out in public. Um, yeah. Haven't been down to Pontiac in a, in a long time, uh, probably three, four years. Uh, that Jasmia uh, lost that that event. Uh, that the 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 apartment where it was hosted. I mean, everything. My wife and I couldn't stop smiling, and uh, you know, just to again be a part um, of what you're doing. Uh, it, it just it, it kind of brings it back full circle because too often we we forget about what's occurred, uh, who's been impacted, and you know we're focusing on business and money. But um, getting back to that event and, and meeting, I met uh, Caitlin and Roy from nice. um, Lanesburg, local roots. Oh my goodness! I'll be out there uh, this Saturday, vendor day. <laughs> that is fantastic. I told them. If I if I can do anything, I, I want to get some Tommy Chong product in there because they are people that what a history they have. They come from the head shop industry as well. 
So, yep. and I, I, they're the first, um, I think the first ones that I could recall that I've met that have been able to transition into the industry um, from the head shop business. I think their their uh, head shop was called Velvet Touch or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> one of those cool uh, head shoppy names where, you know, you try to give the perception that you know you're not all selling pipes and bongs and everything you do some other stuff water vets or whatever it is um well, they were great people to meet and uh, and got to see some friends that i haven't seen in a long time so wow i mean I'll, I'll save up for some more goodies for the next time uh an event like this takes place uh, because i almost I, I felt like i could have done more i could have brought more so um next time you'll, <laughs> you'll have me contributing more well, well, uh, yeah, it was a it was a great time, and uh, um, I actually, when in my mid twenties, uh, in my other life before cannabis, uh, bought my first house up on a Lake Victoria in Lanesburg, and I used to be known for throwing a lot of parties, and uh, Roy was definitely there as a as a, a young guy uh, uh, partying at the house, and uh, so I'm I'm really excited about what they're doing, and I know, um, you know, all of Kevin's uh, product is uh, with all the uh, the carts are in there, and then you know Tom at Real Leaf as well as supporters. So that's that's what I love about our industry in Michigan and the law. Somebody like that gets a chance in their in their hometown. That's uh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and you know, having this opportunity to talk to Tom and talk to Kevin and yourself, um, I mean, it just again brings those people back. There's so many relationships and ways that we can help each other. Um, you know, we all get caught up kind of doing our own thing, but you know, kind of circling back with individuals like yourself and say, "Oh yeah, you know, I I know that guy. Let me introduce you to him. I know he can help you. You you might have a vacuum that he can fill, and let's see how we can all work together." So, um, you know, I look forward to many more uh, events like that in the future as we go to uh, a post-COVID world. Yeah, it's uh, super exciting. So, Phil, we'll if we could talk all day, but um. That is it for today's show. I always like to uh, let uh, let everybody uh, kind of give a few final thoughts before we wrap up. So, Kevin, over at True, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to comment real quick. My microphone was giving me a little bit of issues. Um, you know, Curtis, you brought up a, a, a great point. You know, the, the, Michigan is unlike any other state, in my opinion, uh, and cannabis being uh, the industry that kind of drives that. Um, the networking uh, in the roots runs so thick in this industry, especially here in Michigan. Uh, you know, just being on the show with Ryan uh, now for going on a year, uh, the amount of different people we've met and talked to and and how they know people that I know and Tom knows. And it's just, it's crazy, uh, the connection. Um, but anyways, I, I really wanted to thank you for being on the show. I uh, thank you for your advocacy and standing up and and uh, and starting the, the wheels rolling on this train. Um, couldn't be happier where we're at today, and I'm sure you're in the same boat uh, with your licensed shop. Uh, congratulations on that, and uh, wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you, Tom. Curtis, it's uh, great, you know, meeting you and hearing your stories. It's awesome. I really look forward to seeing how we can work together in the future. It's uh, it's really been a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Curtis, uh, any final words for the audience? We get a lot of a lot of industry folks uh, uh, are listening. Uh, so, uh, what uh, any any final thoughts? Well, I you know again, Ryan, I I'm just I'm taken back. I feel like I've done very little in the industry versus individuals like yourself that are spending 
all the additional time, not only running a business, but keeping, you know, a foundation like yours up and running. So for that, I'm thankful, hope to contribute more time and effort. And uh, yeah, you know, I, it's great to share stories with people. Um, there, there's still, in my opinion, a lot of opportunity for the small folks um, in, in the industry. And that's first and foremost, you know, that's where I come from. That's where my heart really lies. I'm glad to be part of a, a bigger organization, but you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a small guy in a, in a big pond and um, you know, just staying with the head shop business and hearing the stories because I still take the garbage out. I still sweep the floors. I still sell, sling a bong or two every now and then. It's just great to hear the stories. And we put a lot of smiles. We, the, you know, the four of us, along with uh, a lot of other people that are probably listening, we put smiles on people's faces and they appreciate all we've done to help them. And I hear the stories every day, like you guys probably do. So I'm just, I'm just glad to be part of the industry and uh, something that I can, uh, I can, you know, vocalize without fear of uh, being looked at sideways now. So I'm glad to be a part of everything that you guys are doing and that we're doing collectively. Well, yeah, thanks, Curtis. This is a, this is a great show, and I learned a lot. And uh, I'm really glad you came to the event. We're getting a chance uh, to get to know each other. Uh, known of you for a long time, but um, you made me think about something. As far as everyone's talking about Michigan, uh, I, I'm I'm about to be I'll be launching in Oklahoma before too long. And that market right now is the MSOs are getting run out of town. It's it's the toughest. You got to be. Uh, on on your a game and, and Michigan's not quite like that but that but we have run some of the big corporations out that are used to you know like uh, limited markets where it's a different competition but I just heard Southwest Michigan's opened up there's a lot of new caregivers that uh, old caregivers that are getting into the Michigan market the solventless game is going to be uh, totally different yeah. in about a year so um, you, you know, I'm just talking about this. Michigan's market's going into overdrive and innovation. It's an arms race of who's going to be the best, who's getting the most creative. And uh, that, that bodes well for us and bodes well for, uh, you know, the people of the state when uh, all the federal uh, walls come down and uh, people from Indiana want to buy Michigan weed and not Illinois. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm excited. Thanks for being on. And with that, I'll, uh, I'll see everybody next week. Thanks, gentlemen. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.